The Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so, in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection. From the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now this God is not God of the dead, but of the living. For to God, all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Liberator and our Redeemer. Amen. Sometimes, in fact, a lot of the time, I think ministry can feel like Jesus' experience at the temple in our Gospel reading today. Here come the legal experts, your candidacy committee, I mean, the Sadducees. And they politely but intensely ask you, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Now, if I were to translate the Sadducees' question to one that contemporary religious experts might ask, I could phrase it, I don't know, something like, and this is just off the top of my head here, but in the church, therefore, Will you be word in service or word in sacrament? Because you can't possibly be married to both. Just one random hypothetical example. I digress. As we've heard over the last few weeks, this section in the Gospel of Luke tells us a number of stories about different scribes and experts in the law posing various legal and rhetorical questions to Jesus to test him. Unsurprisingly then, some parts of today's text are familiar to reign. For example, we've heard a good deal already about caring for the widow, for the sick, and the poor. However, something unique in today's gospel are the people offering the question to Jesus. This reading is the only time the Sadducees are specifically mentioned by name in Luke 
And the writer immediately qualifies them as, quote, those who say there is no resurrection, unquote. As you may have noticed, resurrection is a key theme in both their question and in Jesus' answer, but this resurrection focus should probably be more ascribed to the motivations of the gospel writer. We should be cautious in overemphasizing any one aspect of the Sadducees' thinking, lest we read too deeply into our limited knowledge of this ancient Jewish sect. That said, I have spent a lot of time sitting with the Sadducees in this gospel text over the past few weeks. Their clever legal test is quite the conundrum. In some ways, it reminds me of philosophy's classic trolley problem. In case you haven't heard it, I'll pose it quickly. You see that a trolley is traveling downhill at high speed, and then realize with horror that there are three people tied to the tracks in front of the trolley. The brakes are out, and the trolley can't be slowed before it hits them. However, within reach, you notice a rail switch, a lever that would move the trolley onto a second track just before it hits the people. You have enough time to pull the switch and save the three who are trapped, but then you realize that the second track also has a person tied to the rails. The classic question is, do you pull the switch? Do you let the trolley hit the three or pull the lever and save them? Even though it would mean taking responsibility for hitting the person on the other track. My response to this question is usually an irritated groan. Yeah, yeah, it's a clever philosophical test, but ultimately someone is getting crushed. It feels like an impossible question to answer, and there is the central issue of our gospel text today. What do we do with impossible questions? Why do people ask them? And what is the real question here? Do we take the Sadducees' test at face value, or is the real meaning hidden behind their question? First, let's consider the scene. Jesus is teaching at the temple in these readings. For the people of the time, the temple was a place where authority and rightness of teaching were consistently brought into question by experts in the law. The fact that Jesus is teaching there, being questioned by those very experts, and that he has garnered quite a crowd of listeners, is noteworthy. It's noteworthy because it means Jesus has begun to get a reputation for his thinking and his wisdom but this wisdom is a subversive one. It is an unconventional one. Now we should also pay attention to the kind of questions being asked of Jesus, problem after problem, all of them about authority and power. And all of them with frustrating twists. There's something we can identify with, pastors, professors, and seminarians alike, Boy, do people like to ask backhanded questions. Oftentimes, like many of those posed to Jesus here in Luke, these questions are designed specifically to be legal and moral traps. Their goal is to catch you out 
to get you to say the wrong thing, to admit your guilt or your insufficient wisdom. Surely no one in the room can relate to that. However, people usually ask these questions because they care about something. Very often because they care deeply about something. So if our goal is to get to the motivation behind the question, we should seek to understand what care or concern inspired the words. Sometimes the care behind our questions comes from a place of selfishness, out of greed or the goal of self-preservation. We can see this in the instance of those who grumbled against Jesus' meal with Zacchaeus in our reading last week, or in the, but why? that so often comes up in conversations about expansive inclusion. We tend to prioritize the preservation of our own comfort and power rather than share it with others. In other times, though, the care that motivates a frustrating question can come from a place of genuine concern for loved ones or for a community, and still other times, in fact, this may be the most common case. There is a mixture of both selfishness and genuine concern in the questions we ask. With this in mind, let's look again at the question of the Sadducees. The almost impossible scenario posed here to Jesus is working on a couple of different levels. The clearest and topmost layer has to do with what life will be like in the resurrection. At this point in history, and honestly, maybe nowadays too, it was expected by many people that resurrection would simply involve a continuation of life as they knew it. And this helps explain the second layer of the Sadducees question, the subject of marriage. The marriage referred to here of a widow to her widower's brother is called leveret marriage. It was a method for preserving the family line, life and property and wealth of the widow in case of a tragic loss. Even though the notion of leveret marriage is not necessarily a method of binding women, it is, of course, a partial result. It would be wise for us to pause for a moment and recognize, even if it was not by design, the way this system easily erases the autonomy and the agency of women. Moreover, if we find ourselves tempted down lines of thought that would disparage the culture and laws of our Jewish siblings, past and present, I would encourage us to first examine closely the ways our own laws bind and oppress human beings. Back to the question of the Sadducees. It becomes clearer in this context, if not easier to answer. So we might understand the question, but now comes the harder part, to discern our response to it. Firstly, and most importantly, sometimes no response is owed. When the sanctity of ourselves or our lives is being questioned, we are never obligated to bear our trauma or our pain to those who only ask questions designed to harm us. However, if we do see a genuine care within the frustrating question, or maybe if we're just feeling particularly patient that day, and if we choose to respond, what do we say? 
Here we turn to Christ's answer to the Sadducees. As much as their question might have been posed with hooks designed to catch and snag, the question behind the question seems to be concerned with security. All right, teacher, the Sadducees seem to be asking, how exactly is this whole resurrection thing going to work? Who takes care of this woman? Who protects the family property and inheritance? Jesus' response respectfully tells them, you're asking the wrong question. It's not we who are going to be doing the defending and securing. The resurrection life Jesus is talking about is a different kind of life. God will do the protecting. God will do the securing. And in more than just the essentials, the day-to-day -day struggle isn't going to be an issue anymore, Jesus said. No, God is doing this in a way that guarantees fullness of life for all involved. In the case of the woman widowed seven times over, the patriarchal bonds of her earthly life are broken. In the kingdom of God, her well-being is guaranteed. There is no longer any need for us to marry, protect, and secure one another, Jesus says. He even goes on to say in this same chapter that the only reason widows even need securing in the first place is because you men have built a world that so eagerly seeks to consume and devour her when she is alone. The gospel says no longer. The Divine Mother has guaranteed safety and bodily autonomy to her daughters for eternity. Our call in this text, as ministers, as Lutherans, and as human beings, is to discern the root of challenging questions and to offer whatever answer heralds the fullness of life which God has promised. And siblings in Christ, if sometimes you feel like you don't have all the answers to the questions and the uncertainties pouring into your minds, rest in the fact that Jesus left questions unanswered too. There is so much he did not say to the Sadducees about what this resurrection world will be like. But in our scripture today, it doesn't just say that this is the God of our future. No, this is the God of our present. It says ours is a God of the living, both those who have lived in the past and those who are living right here, right now. Our calling as Christians is the forward movement of the already and not yet. This does not exempt us from working to break the chains of this life that continue to bind and oppress, but rather demands that we begin that justice work at once, from the pulpit, at the polls, and in the public meeting place, as a response to the fullness gifted to us by God. God's fullness will be for all in the resurrection, yes, but through Christ and the Spirit, God's fullness has already broken into creation. And ours are the hands prying wider the cracks out of which pours the wellspring of God's righteous and liberating grace. 
This is a grace that seeps into broken things. A grace that seeps into bones broken by police brutality. A grace that seeps into the shattered glass of storefronts broken by hatred. A grace that seeps into the broken earth, whose skies choke with ash and whose ground holds the memory of so many innocent lives lost. And that grace declares they are not dead, for to God all of them are alive.